1: They're living with everything that they could grab hold of that the world has to offer, and yet thinking that their worship of God then is going to be accepted. Guys, that ought to be a wake-up call for the church of today that is so blended in with the world that outside the four walls of the church, many times it's very difficult, if not impossible, to tell if a person is a believer or not, Because they look so much like the world They act so much like the world They think so much like the world
0: God doesn't desire worship that is only half-hearted When you come to Him on Sunday with songs of praise Just go back out into the world and serve your sinful desires and dishonor God Your worship is empty As Pastor Dave points out in today's message This is what was happening with God's people in the book of Zephaniah God doesn't expect perfection He knows it's impossible for you But he desires honest worship, not only in the temple, but in your everyday life. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Zephaniah, chapter 1, as he begins his message, The Day of the Lord.
1: At a couple of the minor prophets, say, one of the things that I know is you look at these minor prophets. They can be real downers at times, I mean they can, you can you can read and say man, this just this is hard, this is just hard, hard stuff, but one of the things that you 've got to always be looking for is the saying goes the silver lining behind the cloud, and in many of these minor prophets, even though the judgment of God is coming either upon Israel or Judah or upon the surrounding nations. More often than not, we also see a glimmer of hope as God is going to be blessing the remnant. The remnant is one of the things that we see biblically from the very foundation of Israel as a people, uh, all the way even till today. God always has a remnant. It doesn't matter how dark the time is, how wicked the times are, that within those times, God has a remnant of people that still trust him in the midst of everything, even in the midst of the darkness. We're gonna see that tonight in one of the books we're gonna look at. In the other book, It's just flat out hopeless. Judgment is coming, done deal, it's over. We're gonna be looking at two books tonight, Zephaniah and Nahum, Zephaniah and Nahum. If you have a problem finding those, go to Matthew, go left, about four books or so, and you'll find Zephaniah. Do not stop at Zechariah. Keep going left until you hit Zephaniah. And then in front of Zephaniah is Habakkuk, and in front of Habakkuk is Nahum, okay? So that's the two areas that we're going to be at. And Zephaniah is such a cool name. I mean, you just don't hear people call their kids Zephaniah anymore, but uh, great book. It's a great book. But what I wanted to bring to your attention is very similar to Habakkuk in that it is a a warning against Judah, the southern kingdom, as well as some of the surrounding nations. But one of the things that we will find in Zephaniah Zephaniah, very, in Zach, yeah, Zephaniah, whoo, I'm getting mixed up. Yeah, a very short book, again, just, just three chapters long. Uh, we're gonna have two chapters of primarily uh, the, the judgment of God coming down upon them, and then we have most of the third chapter with a hope for the remnant, a hope for the remnant. And one of the things that it, it continually reminds me of is, man, no matter what kind of a, uh, issues we find ourselves in, God is always, always in charge. There's not a time that he steps back and says, uh, oh, you're just on your own totally. Now, he may let us run for a while on our own, but you need to understand, he's always there. He is always there. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That is the promise that we have from God. And so I look at this in, 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 in Judah, the southern kingdom's life, They messed up just as bad, if not worse, as guilty, if not a higher degree of guiltiness than the Northern Kingdom because they still had the temple, they had the priests, they had the law, they had everything there and they still went the wrong way even when they saw the destruction of the Northern Kingdom. They still went the wrong way. I grew up in a house of four boys, okay? I was the second oldest. My older brother was always getting in trouble. I learned from that, okay? And so I did not get in as much trouble as he did. Now, I'm not saying that I was more godly or more righteous. I just didn't get caught as much as he did. But that's not what I'm saying that Judah needed to learn. What Judah needed to learn is, man, if I mess up, if I live my life this way, the judgment of God's gonna come on me. And they should have learned that, but they didn't. So according to Zephaniah's own introduction here. He's from a kingly line. There in chapter one, verse one, he talks about that he's related directly to uh, uh, the last great and good kings of of Judah, really, Hezekiah and Josiah. Uh, Because he was of the royal family, there's no doubt that he probably lived in or grew up in the area of Jerusalem. And again, it was during that time of both the Assyrian and Babylonian attacks, these sieges that were coming against Judah, the surrounding cities of Judah, as well as Jerusalem itself. It, it was literally a, a time of great distress. There were times of famine and even cannibalism that was going on within the city of Jerusalem. Because of the sensitivity, though, of the prophet Zephaniah, because, again, the, 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 the understanding of what's going on He just really eases in with great comforting words to the people of Judah. Look how comforting he is there in chapter one, beginning in verse two. God is saying, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land. Okay, that's not too comforting. Okay, that was totally tongue in cheek. He's just coming in and says, look guys, you have messed up, game's over. I'm gonna utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. Now, either God is using a, a hyperbole, and he's just really exaggerating to make his point, or he is speaking also of that final, that great judgment of God when God's wrath is poured out upon the earth, that great day of the Lord's wrath coming down. And again, all things eventually will be made new. But throughout this book, throughout the words of this prophet, we're going to read really some very strong, some very all-encompassing declarations that he makes. They can Only really in our mind, they can only be rectified by the understanding that he is speaking also of times when the Lord gives the prophet a message for the people then, but with a greater fulfillment in the future. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we've seen that already as we've gone through many of these prophecies. A word that's gonna be fulfilled within a short time, but then a greater word that comes with a greater fulfillment down the line. We're gonna see both of those, I believe, in Zephaniah. Now the message continues on and it doesn't get any easier, okay? It it even becomes even, even more direct. Look at verse four. Again, the Lord speaking, I will stretch out my hand against Judah, against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. Now, wait a second. Baal in Jerusalem? Yeah, they had brought this pagan god into Jerusalem and actually into the temple. And God is saying, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna cut it off, not only from this place, but also the names of all the idolatrous priests Along with the pagan priests. What's he saying there? There are some priests of Judah that had become again idolatrous. They've allowed these pagan gods to come in. So not only am I going to wipe out the idolatrous priest of Israel, but I'm going to wipe out the pagan priests as well. Verse five, those whose worship are those who worship the host of Israel heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom. So they're, 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 they're doing both things. They're going to church on Sunday. They're worshiping and praising God. And then Sunday night, they're as involved in the world and in the things of the world as you could utterly possibly be, to kind of put it in our own spectrum and understanding. They're living with everything that they could believe, that everything that they could grab hold of that the world has to offer, and yet thinking that their worship of God then is going to be accepted. Guys, that ought to be a wake-up call for the church of today that is so blended in with the world that outside the four walls of the church, many times it's very difficult, if not impossible, to tell if a person is a believer or not because they look so much like the world, they act so much like the world, they think so much like the world. He says, those who swear oaths by the Lord but who also swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. You can see here that this charge is directed specifically at the children of Israel, both the priests as well as the common people. Because they've turned away from the one true God and they began serving these pagan idols. Milcom is just an, an, another word for the idol uh, Molech. And you've probably heard of Molech uh, multiple times. Molech was the one that uh, uh, they, they would build. His statue would have his arms out like this, a metal statue, and below him they would build this raging fire and parents would take their children and sacrifice them to Molech by placing the children on the arms of this idol while the fire below him roasts or burns up the children. That's how bizarre the people had become who had one time been the people of God. So they're coming into the temple quote unquote, worshiping God, and at the same time, worshiping Moloch and all that that involves. When King Josiah, remember young King Josiah, when he began making these reforms there in Judah, the problem was it was actually too little too late. God had already told Hezekiah, hey, judgment's coming. It's not gonna come on your watch, Hezekiah, but it's gonna come on your descendants' watch. And this is what we're seeing getting ready to take place. The judgment was going to be extreme. It was gonna be severe. It was not only gonna touch the southern kingdom of Judah, but it was also gonna touch all of the nations surrounding her. It was going to be, as Zephaniah says, it's gonna come as the day of the Lord. And again, that declaration of the day of the Lord being that time of God's great wrath. Look down at verse seven, still chapter one. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God for the day of the Lord is at hand for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and he has invited guests and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. Now, let me stop right here. He, he's not saying because you're, you're dressed in something that was made in China or, or, or Bangladesh. No, he's not, he's not talking about that. He, he's referring to those that have adopted the, 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 the lifestyle of, of these pagan ways, uh, their, their actions and everything, even to the point that they began dressing uh, like these pagan cultures that were around them. Even in verse nine, there's a reference to an ancient pagan culture or practice. Look at verse nine. In the same day also, I will punish all those that leap on or leap over, depending upon your version, who leap over the threshold, which fill the master's houses with violence and deceit. Well, what in the world does he mean about those that leap over the threshold? Well, if you remember back in the days prior to Saul becoming king this is in 1 Samuel the philistines had captured the ark of the covenant remember that they had captured the ark and in order to show their power over the jews the jewish ark the hebrew children's ark they had taken the ark and they put it in the house or the temple of dagon the god of the Philistines. And you remember the story, they they put it in there and they thought, great, we've captured the ark. Well, they came in the next morning and the big statue of Dagon, he had fallen face forward in front of the ark. And they're like, whoa, whoa, what, what happened here? We can't have that. So they sat Dagon back up again. They came in the next morning, and Dagon had fallen again, broken his arms and his head off. All that was left was his torso, and he had fallen across the threshold of the door. Now, at that point in time, we read We read in 1 Samuel chapter 5, when they arose early in the morning, behold, Dagon had fallen upon his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Verse 5 is where we're coming to. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house now tread on or step on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. So the threshold leading in, that's, that's the, the, the portion of the floor just at, right at the door. They don't step on it. They step over it. They leap over it. And that's what, again, the Lord is referring to here in Zephaniah. Because as time went on, Since the homes of these Philistines were dedicated to Dagon, it had developed into a Philistine superstition that you don't step on the threshold when you go into the door. You make certain that you step over it. And and the Israelites, for some reason, because they started following these pagan gods, they started recognizing this same thing. They started adhering to the same superstition. Now, here's something you may not know you know, the, the, the tradition we have of carrying the bride over the threshold, it has absolutely nothing to do with that so far as I can find out. Okay. <laughs> I, I look, I, I mean, that was the first thing I went to. Man, that's a day on practice. We're not going to do that anymore. No, I, no it, it, it actually does have some stuff to do with superstitions, but all kinds of stuff like, uh, you know, the demons that are trying to follow the woman into the house so the guy picks her up and the demons can't find her then and crazy stuff, even back to the time of the Romans where uh, they would take the bride and literally drag her into the house uh, against her will because, again, supposed to be a symbol of, well, I don't wanna leave my parents. You know, I love my parents. Please drag me away from here uh, kind of a thing. So, But it doesn't have anything to do with Dagon. Anyway, I regress. So God was, was, was certainly going to get the attention of the people of Judah, and also, the, the, as I said, the surrounding nations. Again, this calamity, this judgment is going to grow, and it's going to continue. We see the extent of, of the financial disaster here in chapter 1. Look over in verse 10 in Zephaniah, not First Samuel, in, in Zephaniah chapter 1. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate. Now, the fish gate was the merchant's entrance. Uh, Around the city of Jerusalem, the wall around the city of Jerusalem, they have a number of gates, entry gates that would be there. The fish gate was the one that the merchants would come into. They had another gate called the dung gate. I'll let you figure out what happens at that gate. Uh, So there's various sort of things. But the fish gate where the merchants come in. There's gonna be a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter and a loud crashing from the hills. So what's going on here? He continues on in verse 11. Will you inhabitants of Maktesh, now that's the market district there in the old city of Jerusalem, because all the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. In other words, there's going to be a major financial crash The depression that we saw in our nation back in the early 1900s and in the early 2000s has nothing on what's going to happen here. Verse 13, therefore their goods shall become booty and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses but not inhabit them. Now just think of this for a moment if you would. Think back, if you would, just 10 years ago, 2007, 2008, that time. All the houses that were being built and built and built, and then suddenly they were abandoned, abandoned, abandoned because of the market crash, because people losing jobs and everything. That's how easy this thing can happen. It happened to Israel, but it would never happen to us, right? I can guarantee you that it can, and I believe should the Lord tarry, that is very, very strongly possible that it will happen even here. They'll build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall build vineyards, but not drink their wine. Now to drive it home, again, for those that are hard of understanding, verses 14 through 18 gives it even better clarity. Look what he says, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It's near, and it hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty man shall cry out. Verse 15, that day is a day of wrath. It's a day of trouble and distress. It's a day of devastation and desolation. It's a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick Darkness. Verse 16 A day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities, against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men. They shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. That's a pretty depressing. Declaration. So let's close as we end tonight. And uh, no, you look at this and you think the the voice of the Lord speaking through prophets like Zephaniah, uh, like Habakkuk, uh, like uh, the multitude of those that were speaking during those days, warning them. Look, God's first of all, if we if we back up, if we back up prior to the time of Hezekiah. The prophets were still declaring this, saying, look, if you don't change, God's wrath is going to come. If you don't reject these foreign gods, these foreign women, these foreign practices of worship, the wrath of God is going to come. And yet they continue to refuse to listen to the warnings to now it's saying, okay, you didn't listen? It is coming now. It is coming and it will be absolute devastation. Can't you hear the Lord in the midst of these words saying, did you not get that? Did you not understand what was going to happen when you continued on one hand to say that you were a follower of Jehovah God, and on the other hand, you were so involved in the world and the ways of the world? Did I not make myself perfectly clear that I am a jealous God and I'll have no other gods before me? And you see, they pushed it and they pushed it and they pushed it. And now God is saying, time's up. It's coming now.
0: That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future. And the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there, too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable. And I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com
0: Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and
1: more